I invite you to enjoy the discussion on reoperation and advances in strabismus with Dr. Pilblad, who speaks about positive strabismus surgery, with Dr. Cowell, who speaks about fell first time, got it right second time, and Dr. Morad with the use of non-absorbable sutures in strabismus surgery, with Dr. Strab with dealing with small deviation, and Dr. Kogigit with advances in third nerve palsy management. Wow, wow. Um, I don't even know what to say. Those were amazing talks. There was so much rich material. I, I don't want to waste any time with me talking. Um, I, I, I want to alert our panelists. We have 17 minutes for discussion, and the discussion should be two hours long. So uh, let's, we'll all be direct and to the point and uh, want to make sure everybody has a chance to talk. Matt, I, I want to open with you. Um, the, can you explain your OCT setup uh, in, in the operating room for your intraoperative uh, OCT? Yeah, so uh, the operating microscope uh, is the one we have is the um, Zeiss Rescan, although there's others out there. Um, so I know some people don't like operating under the scope. Um, so it depends on the case, whether I'm doing lo loops or scope, but I try to use the scope as much as possible. Um, and it's just uh, like any other scope, but the OCT is integrated in the, the uh, ocular. You can also watch it up on the screen. Um, if you wanted to operate under loops, you could potentially just have the scope in the room, make your pass, you know, pull the scope over, do the OCT and then uh, move it back out of the way um, if you like doing loops instead of the scope. When a surgeon is operating, it looked like you have that blue line that sets you up. Who, who sets the blue line? And then following up to that is how distracting is it when you're used to looking at the sclera to look off to the OCT at the same time as you're passing a needle? So yeah, so with the Zeiss, it's integrated into your scope. So in your right ocular, you'll see those OCTs. And then you just, you control that with your uh, foot pedal. So that OCT, you can put it anywhere you want in your field. Um, so depending on if you, you know, you switch your pedal to move the OCT or switch the pedal to move your scope. Um, and so the OCTs in your ocular the whole time, um, I, I find it really easy to just ignore it um, if you don't want to use it. Um, you could also just turn the OCT off if you find it distracting, make your scleral pass, click the button, it turns back on. Um, before you pull your needle through, you can OCT it. How often do you see a surprise when you're operating that you think that was a great pass and you realize it was too deep? Uh, I mean, usually you're suspicious. You're like, ooh, you know, you're, you're holding your breath. You're uh, you know, yelling at the resident or fellow uh, or yourself, you're like, ooh, uh, that wasn't good. But um, so most of the time, if it looks deep, it's deep on the OCT. But um, when you do the OCT, uh, sometimes we'll be like, that looked too deep, but then it's like 50% deep. And I'm like, oh, that's perfect. I'm not that worried anymore. So most of the time, it's reassuring in that I'm like, ooh, I, I, I didn't, I wanted them to be more superficial on that one. I OCT and I'm like, oh, I have plenty of sclera behind the needle. I'm not worried. Do you find yourself banging up against the, the choroid in high myops or reoperations, areas where the sclera is likely thinner? I, again, I, I usually find that there's more sclera there than I was thinking. So I OCT and I'm like, oh, that I'm, then I'm reassured and I'm less worried when I can see that there's a bunch of sclera behind my uh, OCT. But yes, those cases um, in general, you're always 
a little bit more worrying. We reported that uh, patients only remember the surgery that they had accurately about 50% of the time. So we looked at what they told us and what we found or when we got the old records. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, so, you know, often, yeah, it happens. You know, they're like adamant that it was just the right eye or adamant it was just their left eye um, and you get in, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing that they don't remember it was ET or XT. I can remember, you know, <laughs> Uh, but it's, you know, they don't remember uh, whether I was in or out. Um, but All right, I want to connect you sometimes to it some was of our other years ago or something or when they were a kid and they don't remember. Right. I want to connect you to some of our other speakers today. We heard about use of a, um, a non-absorbable suture. We heard about small tenotomies and plications. Uh, we've heard about Botox. We heard about moving the lateral rectus to the medial. Have you OCT'd? Um, patients in any of those situations, and have you learned anything? Matt, that was for you. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, so the uh, plications, I've OCT'd plications that have happened before. Early on, you can kind of actually see the plication, um, uh, the muscle on top. I, I kind of uh, placate the muscle on top of itself, so you can actually see that. Um, I've not OCT'd a transposition procedure. Um, but on the application, you can see it's initially uh, early on, you can actually see the application nicely, uh, muscles on top of each other. After a while, it kind of fuses all into one and you can't really see anymore. Fabulous. Uh, Matt, I can keep going, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna involve our other people. Daisy, please jump in whenever you feel like, um, and, and don't worry about insulting me and talking over me. Lionel, um, uh, Sharon Lehman earlier in this uh, Connect 2 said, the older I get, the easier it is to say, I don't know. And I felt like I heard an echo of that. And what you were saying is that we all become humbled by strabismus over time. Um, and, and I wanted to ask you uh, um, uh, the difference between a slip muscle and a stretched scar and what difference it matters to the surgeon. Well, um, a slip muscle is something you recognize early. Um, a stretch scar is something that happens late, um, the, um, but not that late. I have um, seen stretch scars within a year, though in consecutive exotropia, the average duration between the medial rectus recession and the patient presenting with exotropia surgery in my own series the average duration is 23 years. <laughs> so, um, and commonly, the patient will give a history of it got worse during pregnancy or it got worse when I was very sick. Um, so we know from Irene's work that scar tissue is metabolically more active than normal tendon. And so it should not surprise us that um, uh, strange pathophysiological situations of the whole body will have an effect on scar tissue. So slip muscle happens early. Um, stretch scar happens late. In, in terms of planning, you, you talked a little bit about thyroid disease. I remember Ed Buckley uh, saying uh, in thyroid, a little gets you a lot and a lot gets you very little. Um, uh -huh. how, how, do you, how do you plan? Because the muscle... So, the, you know, the old saying, you've seen one thyroid patient, you've seen one thyroid patient. Um, how do you plan with muscles that are also different and deviations that respond differently? 
Uh, we heard Yining talk about central tenotomies, uh, and I'm going to ask her in a little while, but I found central tenotomy and thyroid gives you way more than you might expect, for example. What, what are your thoughts in the planning part of the original surgery? Microphone. Lionel, you, mute, you muted yourself. There you go. You're back. Uh, David, um, uh, I like um, when I teach about thyroid, I really like teaching um, stuff that you have taught me. I really like it. You should do a decompression first <laughs> because if it's a tight orbit, the muscles don't move. But if you decompress, the muscles move better. <laughs> um, um, I was, um, uh, this is the first I've heard from you today um, that small central tenotomies are effective in thyroid. I've never tried them. Um, I um, uh, with thyroid we have to use adjustable sutures um, uh, but we can't um, can't use adjustable suture with application uh, I can't um, I'll if I want to adjust I use a resection um, it's um, seat of the pants stuff all the time with thyroid um, prayer is good uh, <laughs> Do you use intraoperative adjustment, spring back testing, uh, et cetera, in the operating room? Yes, do all that. Um, uh, decades ago, um, Annette Spielman was um, a very gracious host, and I visited her operating theater a number of times. And she taught me a very important um, final step in thyroid eye disease um, and in other surgeries. She uh, moves her hand over the surgery over the surgery abracadabra <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it in our operating room we put on the orthophoria cream um oh. <laughs> yeah year um we had multiple uh, wait, questions that came in sorry daisy go ahead yes we have a question from the floor uh what time do you recommend between the first and the second time of surgery six months or less and i think it was for lionel that, that question well, um, in Brown syndrome, that's very difficult. Um, and um, uh, there are the natural history of good and bad outcomes in Brown syndrome is very variable. Um, and I have seen patients with a bad early outcome spontaneously improve after six or 12 months. Um, but I, I think that's unusual. So with Brown syndrome, if the patient um, isn't better at three months, I don't see any, any advantage in waiting. About, um, yeah. no, and, probably, and probably the same with thyroid. If the patient isn't uh, clearly better in two or three months, I don't think there's any benefit in waiting. But about yeah, Brown, Brown syndrome, you... How, how long do you wait before you go to surgery? Your, your last patient you showed, because I have seen several patients with Brown syndrome who really improved without doing anything. It disappeared completely. So if you operate on too early, then you will make it worse. Yes. Um, uh, in, my, in that particular patient, um, the surgery was scheduled in the six months before he was due to go to school, so that in the hope of giving him a normal appearance when he goes to school. 
and that's um, that's an important consideration. I will. Uh, another indication is resistant amblyopia. Um, so to remove the mechanical um, impediment to fixation, and they are the two uh, commonest indications. Normal appearance yeah. to go to school. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. We have to go on. Um, David, please. Yeah, yeah, you're, we, we, um, I have like 35 questions for you, but we're not going to be able to do that. Two questions from the audience. Um, are you getting granulomas after non-absorbable suture, and what yes. suture exactly are you using? Well, yes, granuloma is the problem, and uh, this happens if the suture is, has direct contact with the conjunctiva. So sometimes when I, I finish surgery and I still see that there is some of the uh, uh, suture popping out, uh, in front of the muscle, I just take a, a, a vicral and complete and uh, right through the muscle and just cover the the, the area that is uh, uh, popping out. So the, and that that prevents the granuloma. But the granuloma always uh, goes by itself. It's like it takes like two months, but, but then it it disappears. So it's not really a huge problem. The other how do you pass the suit? Sorry? How do you pass the suture? How do you pass the suture underneath the muscle in a hangback? Well, I, I can't. This is what I what I'm doing is because the 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 muscles which are most prone to stretching are inferior rectus and medial rectus. If I have an inspiration with an isotropia, I'll I'll do the medial with non-absorbable and do an over resection on the lateral, and I and I with that I can uh, adjust the day after. So no hangback, no hangback with a non-absorbable. No, no, no. Okay, there are people who use uh, hangbacks all the time, so they're going to be asking that question. Um, in your paper, did you use, did you put the vicral suture back through the muscle in the same technique that you used for the non-absorbable uh, to prove that the technique was not the issue, but that the suture was the issue? Well, the way I put the muscle, the suture back, I, I'm not tying it. I'm just burying it beneath the muscle so I, but you use a needle and you pass it back through the muscle right yeah through the muscle but I, I don't, yes I don't but, so you it. did not use the same you did not use the same no. technique on both both okay when you do the lateral rectus resection with the recession alan scott has called that a surgical posterior fixation do you find out that your results are different than just recessing it well I never had an overcorrection with this method. That's that's the most important thing. Sometimes you get an undercorrection. That's right, and it, it, but it's it's all it also can happen if you do an R and R with Vicryl. But an overcorrection I never had, which is really remarkable, I think. Fabulous. All right, Yining. Um, when I I use the central tonsil all the time, we also reported our results. But um, I do it in the operating room. I like to see the ciliary vessels. Do you get small hemorrhages? Are you worried that you're not getting completely through the muscle when you make that that cut? Because I like I like to see it. Maybe I feel like I'm just not as good as you as can, and can at doing that procedure. Um, like you, most of my patients prefer to have it in the operating room. So the um, the ones that I have done awake. I, you know, we select them if they're on blood thinners, what have you. Um, I, I usually don't recommend it. And, um, you know, you're just going right through the tendons. So I think I've had one or two small hemorrhages and just put pressure. They, they survive. How are you sure that you're fully through the tendon and uh, how are you sure that you haven't cut the sclera? 
because you don't, you can't see it when you take the scissors. If you go through the conjunctiva, you can't see what you're cutting. So you're lifting up and you make a small snip and you're using blunt Westcott's um, and your trajectory. Do you check to see if you're full? Do you check to see if you're full thickness? So once I cut, you can, you kind of look and you can see sort of a little V. So if, and especially if the patient's awake, you get that feedback, but if not, I, I guess it's my Canadian experience. <laughs> <laughs> They're calmer than my patients are, I guess. Um, and, and in thyroid, do you, do you find what I, I alluded to that you get a larger result? Um, yeah, I can't say I've done too many tenotomies for my thyroid. My thyroid patients have, I mean, like everyone's seem to have humongous uh, deviations. So I don't have a whole lot of experience with that. I will say I love Yara's talk and I use non-absorbables for all my thyroids and I do not do adjustables for my thyroids. And I think that makes a big difference. Um, and I think you could do a hang back with the knot near the muscle. Uh, Dr. Wright and I've sort of published on a modification of the hang back. So if you wanted hang back with the Mercelin, you could do that. And I, I love putting that suture through the muscle. I'm going to do that now. I've always buried my sutures under the muscle, but now I'm going to do that extra technique. So thank you. Have you done an iris angiogram following a central plication to see if blood flow is maintained? I personally have not, but it's been published by Wright and Deemer's groups. Great. And then uh, Beerson, we're going to we're going to jump to you. And Daisy, I apologize because I think everybody here is is missing the boat and not talking about surgical planning uh, for, to prevent reoperations, to prevent some of these problems, but we, we're, we're just running through the strabismus surgery. Uh, the, the, Bearson, you mentioned that you do adjustable on the table, but you also talked about doing an adjustable suture after. How do you, what are you doing to adjust on the table and what are you doing adjusting afterwards? Uh, when I talk about the uh, adjustable on the table, uh, I see both eyes and I throw to, do uh, a parallel position with the other eyes. And uh, if they stay very nasally, I stay uh, suture a little loose. And if I see uh, still uh, exo uh, position, I try to uh, make a little uh, stick uh, uh, okay. tightening. And uh, I talk about the uh, after surgery uh, adjustment. Uh, I uh, mean uh, about the medial rectus uh, operation uh, because uh, when you you uh, perform the operation uh, the lateral rectus medial transposition after that it's impossible to use uh, adjustment uh, but uh, the uh, David's groups uh, uh, explained the. After operation, uh, awake adjustment this, uh, seems better, uh, but I couldn't find any uh, patients in my country can uh, ap uh, apply the two muscles adjustment in the same time. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, I couldn't find any case after this uh, uh, techniques. So two questions. One is how far back do you split the lateral rectus to make sure that it will go around properly? One. And two, where, do you, where does the lateral rectus actually end up? What is its pathway as it goes from back in the orbit to the medial rectus now? So two different questions. Uh, first one, uh, I divide the muscles uh, up to uh, uh, septum um, because uh, Previous the operation, uh, previous uh, previous the putting the suture, uh, not the 
divide the muscles uh, from the sclera, it's not uh, go enough far enough, uh, go far enough uh, back. But uh, when you, uh, during the operation, just uh, hang the muscle, you can divide the muscle to uh, equal parts uh, up to uh, uh, septum, it's uh, perfectly uh, can use it. Uh, and uh, when you thought about this, uh, is the original technique, we pass through the superior rectus, superior oblique tendon uh, under these uh, uh, groups and inferior rectus, inferior oblique tendon groups. Uh, it's not go very far back because the uh, septum is prevent to go the uh, arms uh, too back. So it's really wrapped around the anterior part of the eye in front uh, of the equator. Actually, uh, I try to reach the uh, medial rectus insertion area, exactly insertion area, not a little back, not little forward. And sometimes you can stay a little back, maybe one millimeter, uh, but many times uh, in my cases uh, is old case and their uh, lateral rectus arms is not enough to arrive the medial rectus area. In this condition, I can use a little uh, hang back techniques. And, and then the last question for our session, because um, I'm supposed to know better, but we're over time, which is, do you include the superior oblique and move it medially to augment the, your procedure? Uh, I don't need any time uh, because uh, I uh, see the muscles uh, good enough position uh, during the uh, table uh, adjustment. Uh, if it is a little, uh, a hypo position, I uh, uh, stretch the, uh, the superior arms. If I saw the uh, another condition is I make the uh, tightening the same amount uh, because the superior oblique uh, procedure uh, doesn't need in my cases. Thank you so much. Daisy, once again, strabismus surgeon spent uh, an hour talking about how we move the muscles and forgetting about the brain and the sensory motor system. There, one more time, we, we did it again. You're muted. Daisy, you're muted. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, we could talk about these things an hour, I think. Uh, it's uh, discussion time is always too short. Uh, Anyway, I really like to thank all the speakers for their amazing presentations, uh, for staying in time. And uh, I enjoyed the rest of the conference and hope to see you soon live again. Thank you very much and enjoy your day. The last thing is remember to join WSPOS. The membership is free and tell your friends to still sign up for this meeting. You have about 24 more hours and then the price goes up. Thank you all. You're fabulous. We bye are bye. The key points of this discussion were how to prepare the OCD in the operating room, how to treat small angle strabismus with minimal invasive surgery, the extensive use of non-absorbable sutures to prevent muscle slippage in addition to note that slipped muscles occur early and a stretched scar occurs later.